0: I get asked every single time I'm on an interview talking about anything about the state of Hollywood as it relates to equity for black people, people of color, women and LGBTQIA people, all of it.
1: Filmmaker Ava DuVernay.
0: What's possible is not a question I can answer because I have no power in the situation. You know, these are questions that the architects and the keepers of the flame have to answer not the people trying to be warmed by the flame or not getting any heat what we're talking about here is systemic and deeply rooted in an industry that is over 100 years old and that is built to be just like this it's built to be this way
1: i'm john horn the pandemic has forced hollywood to rethink pretty much everything it does to keep actors and crews safe. Sets and sound stages are going to operate totally differently. And who knows when or even if movie theaters will reopen again and if people will go back into them. But if the industry can also use the shutdown to look forward, maybe the changes will be lasting and meaningful and not just some sort of temporary workaround. And that includes change that finally results in equity. But what would it take to uproot a system that has been in place, as Ava Duvernay points out, for more than a century? This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our new podcast from Elias Studios. Each week, we're asking some of the sharpest minds in the entertainment business how they might use the shutdown to confront and try to fix what's broken in Hollywood. For its entire existence, the entertainment industry has failed to represent all voices. Now, as Hollywood reconsiders its future, it has a chance to welcome those who have been excluded. And against the additional backdrop of the Black Lives Matter movement, We wanted to explore how and if this moment might be the one that finally results in real systemic change. And that's where we'll begin with director, writer, and producer Ava DuVernay. Her work includes Selma, When They See Us, and 13th. And I reached her as she was on her way from one meeting to the next. Because even though traditional production has been halted, Ava is still really busy.
0: For me, I'm I'm an alpha-type personality, so sitting around and thinking about it gets me in trouble. Um, I do much better when I'm actually taking action in some way.
1: In April, her media company, which is called Array, launched a $250,000 arts fund. It's given out $10,000 grants for creators and organizations telling stories of underrepresented communities especially those impacted by the global coronavirus pandemic. And then in early June, she started the Law Enforcement Accountability Project, also known as LEAP.
0: It was uh, a life-saving measure, truly, for me, because I was really kind of losing it with the, you know, deep grief and rage, you know, that in some ways really came to a head for me personally in watching George Floyd's murder on tape.
1: LEAP is an initiative that empowers artists. They could be filmmakers. They could be playwrights, might be poets, to tell stories about police violence.
0: I'm very used to watching violent racist images for my work. Watch thousands of hours of it for 13th, you know, for Selma, for When They See Us. Um, but that piece really um, brought me to my knees in a way that I didn't recognize within myself. And interrogating why this one was different, what I came up with was the um, the muscularity of the image, you know, that image of the cop cavalierly murdering a man who was begging for his life with his hand in his pocket and his sunglasses on his head that never moved, that um, evil, as I saw it, that complete and total disregard for human dignity, and was something that I felt like I hadn't seen framed quite that way, um, as it relates to contemporary images. And this was just so perfectly framed that it it, it made me realize, wow, we don't ever see these officers. And wow, further to that, I don't even know their names. And goodness, wow, they kind of disappear. And while I can tell you the names of thirty black people who've been murdered by the hands of police on tape, I can't tell you who murdered them. And so the Law Enforcement Accountability Project really came out of all of that thinking and that pain, and it came from a place of saying these people who murder black folks who are unarmed in instances where we are fortunate enough to have a tape to bear witness, those people should not go unknown and unnamed, and that what the police unions and police departments and the courts won't do, that the people can do. And artists can do. Artists holding officers accountable by making work that makes sure that they can't disappear.
1: What can narrative storytelling do that history or journalism can't?
0: It's the emotional connection. We have actors pretending to be people in these situations and it allows you to enter in and feel the Blood pumping and the heart beating, and the tears that fall down the face, and and what that experience is like, which is different from what history books and journalism, good journalism, can do on its surface. And you know, both of those are are great inspirations and take us far. But I think the narrative storytelling. To have human beings embodying the feelings and emotions and experiences and and memories and grief and rage and anger and hope of other human beings is a unique practice and is is why storytelling um, is so important and why I think it's vital that we apply that aesthetic to issues of justice.
1: The thing I've been thinking about a lot is how what we've seen in the past has normalized ways of thinking about institutions. And I was thinking about the whole idea of rogue police officers and how they've been glorified in movies like Lethal Weapon or Dirty Harry or Training Day. I wonder if the business itself has told a story specifically about police and the heroic police officer who goes rogue that has been around for too long, that has really kind of ingrained itself in the way we think about the police?
0: I think certainly the images from Hollywood have have contributed in, you know, a major way to the way that people think about police. But really, it's a real-world context that contributes to the way that people think about police because I grew up watching movies, watching those road cops and you know, heroic cops, but I also grew up in Compton and experienced what real cops were like in my neighborhood. And there is no film um, or no television experience that can capture real lived reality. And so I think there is a bit of an overestimation about the, um, well, I think the conversation is preferential when we talk about the impact of film and police it centers a point of view of folks who feel in their real life that they're safe with police, right? It doesn't speak to people whose real lived experience is one of fear of police and that they feel in danger by the police. So growing up, when I would see those lethal weapon and those images, it felt cartoonish and like fantasy to me and not rooted in any kind of reality. So I would just say when we have all this conversation about the effect that these images of police have on the culture, that is speaking to a very privileged part of the culture that feels safe around police. Um, to that end, you know, certainly there's been a lack of, of any genuine effort to understand, to decipher, to deal with images of, of the police in the way that they really are in the world just as there's been no real understanding by Hollywood to you know truly and consistently portray the reality of pilgrims or pioneers what they call pioneers or settlers or cowboys (laughs) not often portrayed with the nuance that they have in the lived world of people of color
1: coming up What would the entertainment industry look like if you took the arguments for dismantling the police and applied them to Hollywood?
0: The L.A.S. Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the
1: more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round.
0: Well, it's my favorite place in the world. It's, it's, uh, I built the place that I couldn't find. You know, a place here in L.A. that's really has people of color and women in its DNA as a part of its building. Not as an inclusion program, not as a diversity initiative, but in everything that we do here, every project, people who are usually uncentered are the epicenter of our work here.
1: So, that is part of a conversation I had with Ava DuVernay last year. She was showing me the brand new 50 seat theater on the campus of her production company. It's called Array, just outside downtown LA. Now, the mission for this podcast is how Hollywood could reinvent itself. Well, DuVernay was way ahead of us. For years, she has been a champion for new voices and expanding who gets included in Hollywood. But she says for the industry to truly change, it's going to take a lot more than the efforts of those who are marginalized and half measures by those in power won't cut it.
0: There should be no handout and there should be no lending a hand. That is not the way we as an industry should be thinking about what's going on here, because all that is is reform and reform never works. Right. Reform is a bandaid on a disease and band-aids on diseases don't work. What we're talking about here is systemic and deeply rooted in an industry that is over a hundred years old and that is built to be just like this, built to be this way. So giving a hand is not going to change a centuries old system of inequity, bias, and, you know, oppression of images and stories and characterizations, not just oppression of the images, but actual active propagating, active promotion of the opposite of what we know to be true as human beings, that a certain group of people are criminals and that this other group of people are heroes, that these people are savages and that these people are champions, right? rescuers, saviors, that is all so skewed and diseased that there's no lending a hand that's going to fix that. You know, if I've got a disease that's running through my whole body and you come over and put a Band-Aid on it and give me a cup of soup, uh -uh, it's going to make you feel better. It may make some folks feel better in the moment, but I know when you leave from your visit, I'm still sick. And so that is what is going on in our industry in Hollywood. That's what's going on with conversations about police reform. That's what's going on in our education system and our healthcare system, that inequities are being treated with cups of soup. And that kind of thinking is not going to get us anywhere. We've got to look at the system.
1: I totally get your point, and I totally get the parallels between Hollywood and the police. And we can figure out what the policing models might be if we're going to defund and reconstruct and figure out community policing and what the police should and should not be doing. There's a whole conversation we can have about what the best version of law enforcement looks like. What does the best version of Hollywood look like? Because we can dream now and say, we're starting from scratch. We're making it up like we're going to make up the police department's what does it look like?
0: Well, i tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like every major studio and network in this town being uh, headed by a white man or white woman. It doesn't look like that. I think that's the place to start. It doesn't look like the boards of these companies. So I think a great place to start is what it looks like now. And we know that there's a problem with the picture. And I don't have, if, hey, if I had the answer and knew how to do it, I'd be the winner. Hey, I'd solve it. But I know what we can start from, and I know that it has to be an industry-wide recognition that where we are, that the picture of all of the executives, you know, with, with, with significant power at every studio and network in this town, as well as agencies, it's a challenging picture to look at and then to hear, well, we wrote a check to these people, so that's going to be fine. It's, um, it's wrong. I think there are good people in those positions. Those people have to say this is wrong. And until that happens, the rest of it is just reform band-aids and cups of soup. And it it doesn't really hold much water with me.
1: You just got elected to the Academy a Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Board. What can organizations like the Academy do?
0: I don't know. I mean, change the picture. (laughs) And so in order for that to happen, there needs to be other people at the table. Um, it's the first step, you know, it's the first step. You have to have, um, you know, different kinds and cultures of people um, thinking about about the way forward. And if that's not happening at any company, any guild, any union, any agency, any organization in our town, if you look around the table and there's one person of color or zero people of color or two people of color, if you're at a table with 20 people... That ain't it. You're not doing it. You're doing enough to make yourself feel better, but you're not actually moving this thing forward.
1: So what does it take to actually move that goal forward? DuVernay and her movie Selma were a prominent example of a movie starring Black actors that was almost completely snubbed by the Oscars in 2015. It won one award for best song. And that year, all 20 of the acting nominees, were white. And that's how we ended up with the Oscar So White movement and hashtag. Now, five years later, DuVernay is not only on the board of the Academy, but she also sees other reasons to be optimistic, even if she knows that progress could be really slow.
0: It's not going to be done overnight. It's not going to be done overnight. But I commend companies who are actively putting protocols in place to do it and processes like you can't just say it because of the words, I need to see the plan. And well, all of my challenges with the Academy out of the Oscar so white movement of a few years ago, they put a plan in place for so whatever you think of the plan. They said, okay, we're going to make a plan and we're going to work and we're going to stick to it. And we're going to try with processes and protocol and policies And I don't see that hardly enough um, elsewhere, especially at the studios and networks. Um, A check is not enough. A statement is not enough. One black executive is not enough. Two is not enough. Your company must look like the real world. And if it doesn't, then you are holding power on purpose. You're defending something that upholds a privilege for yourself and oppression and bias for others. And that's just the long and short of it. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I'm just saying it's its mass. If you're looking around the table and you have the power to change that table and you don't do it, then you're basically saying, this is fine. If that's fine for you, cool. I'm not, my job and my life is not about changing your mind. Um, but you can't also feel good about writing a check because now you're a hypocrite. And so those are some of the tough questions that I think... really smart powerful people in this town are asking themselves now maybe for the first time and I appreciate that that's happening I think there's some good work being done and it needs to be sustained it needs to be ongoing so that we can get to the place that I think many 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 people including those in positions of power want to be
1: Ava thanks so much for your time stay safe stay healthy
0: thanks John thanks for having me
1: In the coming weeks, we're going to delve into how the business structure of the entertainment industry will have to change. What will be the bottom line for the bottom line? Here's Mulan producer Jason Reed. We're not going to have the kind of grosses that we would have had we released it in March and before all of this happened, and that there's going to be that asterisk next to every movie for the foreseeable future. Our thanks to Ava DuVernay and to you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hollywood The Sequel is produced by Shelley Lewis, Monica Bushman, and Jonathan Shiflet, with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. Hollywood The Sequel is a production of LAS Studios.